Please rise as we read Psalm 150. The reading of God's Word. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with the loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks, for You indeed are worthy to be praised. Holy Spirit, take these words guide and shape, more than direct, these people hearing this message, make them more like Christ. Make all of us to be near to you. It's in Jesus' strong name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. How do you remember things? Some of you remember where you were. Some of you remember what you were doing. Some of you remember how you were doing the activity. Some of you maybe perhaps remember who you were with. There are any number of things we could remember about a significant event in our lives. My brain probably works a lot like yours. You remember some of the details, but others you don't. And sometimes you just remember the general idea of what this event was. But there are also things in our lives that are really wonderful or really tragic in which we remember the very most intricate of details. Sometimes we need that, and other times we just need good memories. But however you remember, I wonder, how do you remember? I was probably about 14 or 15 years old is the way I remember it. I'm just trying to put dates together because I don't remember the specific dates. I do envy those of you who can think of at this particular day, at this particular time, I was here or there. Or even on significant events, I, I don't recall specific times. But on this particular time, I remember I was in junior high school, probably 7th or 8th grade, something like that. And I was riding in a car with my sister and some of her friends. And I thought I was just really cool because I was hanging out with high schoolers. And I thought this was wonderful. It couldn't get much better because I was in the cool crowd and it was just a fun day. Well happens we're riding in this old car. I don't remember what kind of car. I remember it was like a brownish gold and had a big huge steering wheel with a knob on it. That the driver, you know, one of those, you remember those cars, right? And the guy that was driving the car put a cassette tape. You remember cassettes, right? And he put it in this old cassette player and went, you remember it? Almost like an 8-track, but it just had to, it had to insert the tape and it made this sound. And then there were sounds that came out of the speakers. And I, as a junior high kid, had a certain kind of music I liked, and this song that came through the speakers was close enough. I liked it, and I thought, hey, this is interesting. And I remember asking the person driving the car who inserted the tape, I said, what is this song? And who is this band? And he said, it's, it's the band called Petra. It's a Christian rock band. And I remember thinking two things. Honestly, I remember th thinking two things. The first thing I remember was like, duh, because they were singing, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
And when he told me it was a Christian rock group, I was like, yeah, of course it is. I'm not that naive. The second thing that I remember thinking in myself, to myself was, I know that scripture, but which scripture is it? And so we went about our day, and I don't remember what we were doing or where we were going, but I remember coming back home. And for the first time, I found myself searching the scripture for myself. Without the prompting of a teacher or a pastor or a parent, I found myself thumbing through the Bible with intention. I found myself thumbing through the Bible with vigor, thinking, what is going on? Where, why, why are these guys singing this? And why do they sound so cool doing it? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. As I've said to you, I've picked out psalms in this summer that mean a significant amount to me, or at least ones that I just generally like. And I usually have memories attached to those psalms. And Psalm 150 is chosen not only because it's a good conclusion of our series in the psalms, but because Psalm 150 holds a special place in my heart. And that special place in my heart is just that. It's the first time I remember taking Scripture as mine. And looking at Scripture and studying Scripture and thinking, hey, this is something really great. And this is really wonderful. And it's now been a part of my life ever since. There's been ebbs and flows. I honestly confess that I haven't read my Bible every single day of my life. But it's now part of my life. And that moment in that old car with one song by Petra, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, found me in Scripture. And so I'm thankful I'm thankful for Psalm 150 because that was the gateway for me into Scripture as my own. Psalm 150 is a special psalm. And I hope this morning you see the same thing. Not just because it's my experience, but because Psalm 150 is such a wonderful conclusion to the hymn book of God's people. We're at the end and the final culmination after all of the laments, after the sorrow, after the praises, after all of the emotion of humanity, the Psalter ends with praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And so this then is the command that we are given as God's people to praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And so I don't know how you remember But it's important for us, I think, to recall and to recapture how we normally remember things is the where we were, is the how we were doing it. It's the what we were doing, and it's also the why, right? So all of these things, or excuse me, the who. So it's the where, the what, the how, and the who of our memories that should jog our memories on this day. It's also what drives Psalm 150. The where, the what, the how, and the who. So let's look at Psalm 150 to look at the answers to those questions. The where of praise is really quite an important question for us this morning, isn't it? Where are we to praise the Lord? The psalmist instructs, us and God's people in verse 1, in the second part of verse 1, 
actually majority of verse 1, it says, where are we to praise the Lord? It says, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. The psalmist declares, first of all, that we must praise God in His temple. In His sanctuary. In His holy place we must praise Him. That is with a focused worship. Right? That is what we're doing here right now. A focused character of worship. Maybe you could describe it as that. What is it saying? It's saying, commanding us that we are to be a worshiping people. We're designed, we're created, we're commanded to do just this, to praise the Lord, to worship. In our culture, in our contemporary vernacular, we often come into churches or go to churches that, that say there's a time of praise and worship. Somehow, some way, we've, di- we've divided those two things. That somehow worship is separate from praise and praise is separate from worship. There's no separation of those two things. Our worship is praise. Our praise is worship. They're one and the same thing. To worship is to praise and to praise is to worship. So we can't separate those two things out. But when we come into church, we are praising and we are worshiping. We praise Him in His sanctuary. What else does that mean for us? It means that we're to gather together. It means, as Hebrew 10 says, neglect not assembling together or yourselves, as is the habit of some. We've just, and still are, in the middle of a pandemic, and we're trying to wrestle with what that means, aren't we? What does it mean to love our neighbors well? What does it mean to gather together and to worship together? It means that our endeavor and our heart and our motive is to be together as God's people, to worship the Lord as a family, as brothers and sisters, with one voice, one heart, one soul, to lift up the praises of our Lord and God. We're not to neglect that. It's important. It's important for us to be together. The psalmist wants to make the point that the, wor- the community of worship is central to our lives. He starts off the psalm that way. Where are you to worship? In his sanctuary. This is where you are to worship. It's necessary. It's right. It's good. It's important for the people of God. We need to come together. We need together to praise our God. The psalmist also declares that we praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't floated around the heavens any time in the recent past. I don't live in the clouds. I don't live in heaven. I live in Arlington, Texas in 2021. So what does it mean for us to to worship Him in His heavens? It's not where we reside. What does that mean? There's a general word for heavens which means creation, right? All of His universe. This is the totality of what the Lord has done. So the psalmist is saying, not only here in church are you to worship, but wherever you are, you are to worship and praise the Lord. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. I think that this phrase does call us to praise Him in all of creation. Praise Him wherever you are. Praise Him at all times and in all places. The psalmist in verse 1 speaks not only about our being gathered together, but he speaks to being focused worship as a community wherever we are. But also about 
all of the moments of our lives. Every single second, minute, hour, day, week, month, and year. We are to always be praising the Lord. Our lives are to be as much as able filled with praise. What does that look like for you and me? It means that we're not just supposed to be Sunday Christians, right? We're not just supposed to show up for an hour or two on Sunday morning. But our worship starts on Tuesday morning again when we go back to work, when we go back to school. Our worship starts when we go home this afternoon, and what is it about that we do on Sunday afternoons that gives praise to our God? What is it that we do on a Thursday evening that praises the Lord? What is it about a Friday evening or a Saturday evening that focuses our lives on what it means to praise our Lord and our God? So whether we are at school, whether we are at work, or whether we are at play, these are not places that are away from the Lord. For the Lord resides in His heavens. The Lord resides all over. He is everywhere. These are not places that we can hide from not serving Him. For these are places where we are to serve Him. These are places where our lives are lived. And if that's where our lives are lived, then that's where we should praise Him. So where do we praise the Lord? <laughs> the answer is simple, right? Everywhere. We praise Him everywhere, and we praise Him with a devotion as we gather together. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord everywhere. The why of praise why do we praise the Lord? Verse 2 talks about that. Let's look at verse 2 quickly here for a moment. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. It seems like a pretty straightforward type of thing, right? Why do we praise God? We praise Him for His mighty deeds, for His excellent greatness. We praise the Lord because of what He has done and who He is. We praise Him for His acts of power. and We praise Him for His surpassing greatness. We praise Him for what He has done. One person puts it this way, when we reflect on the Lord, when we lift our voices in praise, our songs of praise are filled with the acknowledgement of the activity of God. God is our Creator. God is our Sustainer. God is our Redeemer. God is our Judge. We think about the things that God has done, the things that God is doing, the things that God will do. We want to raise our voices in praise because of all of the wonderful things that He has done us. But even more than that, it seems to me that what verse 2 is saying to us is not only for what God has done, but we praise Him for who He is. Who He is. We praise Him for His surpassing greatness. In every relationship that we have, we like to be acknowledged for the things that we do well. We like to be encouraged. We like to be given a pat on the back. We like to be given an attaboy or girl, Good job, well done. We like these things, especially when it's something that comes from our heart and an act of generosity or something like that. We, we like this. Parents, I, th I think that sometimes we would like our children to occasionally pause to be thankful, right? Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad, for making dinner. Thanks for doing what you do. 
We don't always get that. We don't always get that from our parents, from our kids, from our friends, from our colleagues, from our bosses. But we like that, don't we? We're created in the image of God. It seems to me that God likes that too. He likes being in a relationship with us. He likes knowing us. He likes us to know Him. And He likes us to acknowledge who He is. But what is the greatness? What are surpassing deeds that's talking about here? The mighty deeds, the surpassing excellence, all of these things. What is it that the psalmist is talking about? The psalmist is looking backwards onto an event of redemption. We too are looking backwards on an event of redemption. Who is God? What is his character? What is it about him that we honor him and praise him? To me, there's no more excellent greatness or no more mighty deed than for him to lay down his life for us. In Scripture, we're told that there's no greater love than one has but to lay down his life for another. This is who the Lord is. He laid down his life for a rebel, for an enemy, for an alien, for you and for me. Why? Because in his person, in his character, he is a God of righteousness, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of justice, he is a God of grace. And all of those things are on full display on the cross. For in his righteousness, death and sin and rebellion had to be paid for, and he paid that price by taking nails in his hands and his feet. He is a God of mercy by laying down his life. He is a God of righteousness because of his holiness, of who he is. And on the cross, Jesus took our unrighteousness and our unholiness upon himself as the holy and righteous one. And in that death, he gives us his righteousness. And the greatest and mightiest of deed of all is after Jesus took those nails, after he took my nails for my sin and my rebellion, they took him down off of the cross. His beaten and bloodied body, his breathless life was placed into a tomb. And there was a stone rolled in front of that tomb to ensure his death. That no one could touch him. No one could steal his body and they put guards by this tomb. And then on that glorious Sunday morning, that Easter morning, the women came to the tomb and they saw the stone rolled away and they looked in and there was no one there. His mightiest deed was conquering your death and my death. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus is victor. 
This is His greatest and mightiest of deed. This is who He is. And this is who He is for you. This should cause us to praise our Lord. The Lord says to us that it's this that then motivates and energizes and fuels and motors our praise. And it points to the character and the person of our God. And we should love Him for that. And we should praise Him for that. We should love Him for His surpassing greatness, for just who He is, for His character, for His love, for His justice, for His righteousness, for His mercy, for His grace. All of these things that are on display on the cross, this is who the Lord is. And now He sits enthroned at the right hand of God and Jesus with outstretched arms says, Come and enter. This is greatness. This is goodness. This is faithfulness. And we should meditate on that. On who He is and what He's done. And as Psalm 145 verse 3 tells us, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The how of praise. This is a great debate among many churches and even in evangelicalism. How should we praise the Lord? What does that look like? Should we have lots of lights? Should we have smoke? <laughs> Should we have organs, not organs? Should we have drums, no drums, guitars, cymbals, dancing? How do we praise the Lord? And many turn to Psalm 150 as the prescription of this is what it looks like to praise the Lord. And I would say, okay, I see where you're going there. But I want to take us to this large chunk of Psalm 150 and where a large portion of where we'll land here today is on this question, the how of praise. How do we praise Him? And there is a number of musical variety of ways that are worthy and acceptable to praise our God. But it says to us here, read these words, praise Him with the trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp, praise Him with tambourine and dance, praise Him with strings and pipe, Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Not only sounding cymbals, but large crashing cymbals. This is how we praise the Lord. This is prescription, right? Perhaps. How are we to praise the Lord? I suspect that if I were to give you a homework assignment here this afternoon, go home and come back to me with your list of how it is that we should praise the Lord. What does it look like for you to organize a worship service? Where would you go? I would think that you would probably turn to the songs that we would sing, the prayers that we would pray. I think that we would turn to uh, the message or the scripture that we would preach on for the message. We would turn to portions of the catechism. We would go through a liturgy where we would have all kinds of words and things like that, right? That's what you would return to me. There may be one or two of you that may return to me and say, Yes, all of those things, but also I'm going to attach to you instruments that we should play at a particular time. We might think that a little odd, but yet that's what the psalmist does. He doesn't tell us the words to say. He doesn't tell us what liturgy to write down. He tells us the instruments that are played to praise the Lord. I find that interesting. Why does he do that? So I want to guide our thoughts here for a second. Let's not just think of these instruments as instruments just as face value. 
we need to think about what would the original reader here of this psalm be thinking, hearing, knowing about what the psalmist is actually saying. So when the psalmist says to his individual Israelite, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp. What is going through the original audience's mind? If I can, can I ask you to turn in your Bibles or your apps? And I really do want you to go there for a second with me. Please turn to Numbers chapter 10. I'll give you a second here to turn there, to flip there, or however you want to get to Numbers chapter 10. And our editors have done us a favor and they've cheated a little bit, or they've stolen a little bit of the thunder. If your Bible says something like this, the silver trumpets, okay. Let's just start in verse 1 of chapter 10. I'm going to read a little bit of this, but it's important. So just hang in there with me as we read Numbers. Probably a place you haven't gone to lately, but Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, saying, Moses, make two silver trumpets, Of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Verse 4. But if you blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to be set out. Verse 7. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with what? The trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you should be saved from your enemies on the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feasts and at the beginnings of your months. You shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Why does the psalmist give us you shall praise with trumpets? To remember that He is our God. In other words, all the time. Whether you're heading out, whether you're going to war, whether you're going to church, whether you're going to work, the trumpets tell you when to go out. And the psalmist then says to us, verse 3, praise Him with the trumpet sound. In other words, all the time. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the trumpet sounds the praise of the Lord. Praise Him under His heavens, if you will, in all that you do. Think of the harp and the lyre. I'm not going to go through every one of these things, but if you would like, you may go back into Scripture and find all the references to each one of these instruments. I would suggest to you that's a really fun and exciting Bible study for the week and to see the impact and the significance of each one of these instruments. But I will summarize. Think of the harp and the lyre. These instruments of rejoicing were played at the dedication of the temple played at the dedication of the new walls of Jerusalem, played sometimes to accompany prophecy and sacrifices, played to celebrate even victory in battle. And again, you see the richness of the instruments. 
not just sounds raise to praise and worship, but sounds resounding in who we are and how the Lord reminds us of Himself. It reminds us of what the Lord has done in the lives of God's people throughout all of generations. And then it says, praise Him with tambourine and dance. And here again, we have expressions of joy. If I could, I would take you back to a significant portion in Israel's history. Exodus 15 to be exact. Verse 20. And there, we see something interesting. What do we see? Do you know Exodus 15? It's right after Pharaoh's army was drowned in the sea. It's right after the Lord had swallowed the greatest and strongest army in the world by the power of the wave that he controlled. And it's there in Exodus 15, verse 20, where we find something amazing. We find Miriam. What is she doing? She's singing. She's praising. She's dancing. And she's using a tambourine. The tambourine had significance to the people of God. Singing and dancing and tambourines were also used to celebrate the victories of Saul and David over the enemies of God. We find dance also at the time of the harvest celebration in Judges. The strings and the pipes recorded here are general terms for instruments of rejoicing. The symbols are again associated with the moving of the ark and with the sacrifices in the temple. So we see that these instruments aren't just simply instruments to make sounds, but they lift the whole history of God's people to praise and to worship, to say, remember what the Lord was doing and what He's done the last time you heard a trumpet? The last time a cymbal was played? The last time a harp or a lyre or a flute was played? Do you remember? However you remember. Remember the tambourine. Remember the trumpet. Remember the cymbals. Interesting, the greatest description of the use of instruments in Israel's history comes at the moment when the ark is taken back into Jerusalem. I reference this story fairly often because it's an extremely significant event in the lives of people. We read that David and all of the Israelites were celebrating with all of their might before God with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. We find that in 1 Chronicles 13.8. You see that phrase? With all of their might. How are we to praise the Lord? I'm going to suggest to you that it's not so much what instruments are used. Although they have significance. But I want to put before you that how we praise the Lord is with all of our might. Just as David did as the ark was coming back into the city of Jerusalem, David set aside all of his pretense, all of his pompous power, all of his stature, all of who David was. He set it aside literally and figuratively. And all he did was dance and sing with trumpets, with harps, with lyres, with dancing as the Lord entered back into the presence of His people. This is what we are to do to lay aside who we are and, and to praise our God. Our praise is not to be just some simple thing that we barely remember on a Sunday morning to do, but it should define us as it defines David. 
Miriam, Moses. Our praise is to be wholehearted. Can you remember what you sang five minutes ago? I don't know, can you? I can't answer that question. But I wonder, have we allowed the wonderful blessing of praise to fill our hearts? To fill our minds? To focus on what it is that we sing and and how we sing? The words that we sing? And yes, even the instruments that are played? And the people around us who are singing along with us? Worshiping with us? Praising with us? How are we to praise? I would say put every instrument known to man up here. How are we to praise? With all of our might. And then finally, the who of praise. Who was to praise the Lord? The psalm concludes, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. All of us who have been enlivened by God, all of us who have been created and have the very breath of God, of life, breathed into us, all of us who are made in God's image, let us praise the Lord. You see, we, we've been entrusted with a task. And that task is a command. Thirteen of them, exactly, in Psalm 150. That task, people of God, praise the Lord. Praise Him with all your might. We dare not take it lightly because the Lord God commands us to do so. We dare not take it casually because the Lord God commands us to do so. All of us who have breath, all of us who have redeemed, been redeemed by Jesus Christ of, of who He is and what He's done for us, we remember the acts of God and His great deeds and His wonderful greatness to us. All of us who have breath, who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who have been taken from death to life, who have put on new clothes, who have experienced the saving work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Our task? Praise the Lord. We fill our lives then with praise, praising Him with all of our might as we gather together, as we go back to school, as we go back to work, as we go back to our play. We need to guard ourselves, however, against trivializing praise. It's not just praise and worship. It's praising our God. It's praising who He is, what He's done. Our minds, I think, need to be stretched a little bit. Stretched out to the whole world that God has made to to recognize that we are not the only ones praising Him this day or any other day. There are millions, billions, that join the choir with us each and every Sunday, each and every day, that offer up praise to our God. So I hope you've seen in Psalm 150 and all the psalms that we walk through this summer, how it's filled with praise, and how it informs and directs our praise. 
So, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. People of Redeemer Arlington, praise the Lord. People of God, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our great and heavenly God, we do indeed praise you. And as we come to your table, we are given a specific and particular reminder of just who you are and what you've done for us. So as we begin to prepare our hearts to take this meal that you've given to us, may our hearts be filled with praise and joy and adoration for what you have done, your amazing and surpassing greatness, your mighty deeds that you have done for us, what you've accomplished for us, and you tell us, come, take, drink, remember, and believe. So Lord, we lift your name on high and we praise you, for you are our God. You are our Redeemer, and You are our Lord. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. Amen.